and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Hi everyone, it's Rocky. Um, you know, I'm in here in Brooklyn, my place. Um, so sorry right now, there's a little delay with Chibi, um, but he definitely said he's gonna come back on really quick. Actually, I think he's gonna come I, back. I'm coming, Rocky! He's coming! He's coming! He's coming! <laughs> okay, I wanna hug, I wanna hug, I wanna hug. <laughs> He's here! I'm here! Uh, okay, if anyone's listening to the podcast afterwards, they're like, why are they yelling? Uh, but it's because I'm here in New York City, uh, along with Raquel, and this is our first time actually broadcasting the show together. Yes. Physically. I know. From the same spot! <laughs> I know, we were just kind of talking about, like, do I look at you? Do we look at the camera? Like, what is this? Like, wow, our virtual world is really colliding into, like, in person. Into the real world! Yeah! And I'm so excited for it. We're like, okay, this is going to be awkward, but it's also maybe going to be wonderful. Um, because like, if you've been watching the show for a while, you know that we do this show, uh, virtually we bring on guests from all over the world. Uh, we started this show because of the pandemic and just to try and find a way to link up artists, yes. poets and fans in a virtual space because everything shut down. Mm -hmm. Um, and during that kind of like virtual time was kind of where I discovered our guest today. <gasps> Um, I know. She was doing some virtual workshops and a friend of mine was like, uh, check this out. You need to jump on this. She's brilliant. I jumped on it. She was brilliant. And so she's not here in Brooklyn. No more no, surprises. No, no, no. She's not here in Brooklyn with us. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's really cute because I see her backstage where she's like, yeah, like, I wish I was there. We wish you were here too. But we're trying to, we're making strides, right? And one of the strides is for us being here. And definitely we're having our guests yeah. Would you like to introduce her? Absolutely. I am so excited to bring her on the show and get to know a little bit more about her and her life. Seema Reza is a poet and essayist and the author of the poetry collection, A Constellation of Half-Lives, and the memoir, When the World Breaks. Based outside of Washington, D.C., she is the CEO of Community Building Art Works, an arts organization that encourages the use of the arts as a tool for narration, self-care, and socialization among military populations struggling with emotional and physical injuries. Her writing has appeared online and in print at the Bellevue Literary Review, Green Mountain Review, The Washington Post, The LA Review of Books, The Feminist Wire, Her Kind, The Offing, and Entropy, among others, y'all. If, if you've been here before, you know we live for the comments section. Show some love in the comments section for our guest, Sima Reza. Hey, hold on. Now we gotta. Hi, Sima. You gotta change your angle so I can see both of your great faces. There we go. <laughs> we, tra we transition to the wide angle. I'm feeling so lonely to not be there with you. Thanks for having me, though, virtually. Aww. No, I like, I was telling Chibi, I know that because you were talking to Chibi backstage. I was like, Seema, I already could tell we're going to have a beautiful conversation. You look beautiful. This hair, this like your face, like I love it, your smile. And I can, you know, your poetry is just magical too. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. 
Thank you. I'm so looking forward. I, I, I posted on Instagram that I'm really going to focus on the and shit part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's my that's my dream. Yeah, and Rocky, your shirt. <laughs> also, Chibi, um, is that Zach Morris's shirt? Like where? <laughs> I have no idea. I found this in an Aguas Frescas shop. They had like just a rack of like clothing. And I was like, that is mine now. 100%. So good. <laughs> thank right. you i love it i love it um so yeah and usually what we do is when we start i know i'm like i'm always waiting for the delay like <laughs> no we're here we're, we're live here. <laughs> there, there's no buffer <laughs> no, no buffer um so yeah and usually you know because we're gonna get to know you and like you said we're gonna emphasize on the shit you know part um I always like to open up with like asking, you know, our guests, how's your heart? It could be how's your heart today, this week, this year, this month, your season, right? Um, yeah, if you could share that with us. Yeah. Um, my heart's heavy. It's a heavy time in the world right now. Um, I think, I, I mean, there, there are no words for what's happening in the world. Um, and, you know, the... The veterans that I love and and know are are really struggling. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to have some space where yeah we recognize that that's you know what's happening in the world and we're we're carrying that, but we're also hopefully um, taking some time to experience our joy. Um, of course, it's a thing that I'm struggling with, but. Um, Hmm. I feel I feel that I feel that so hard because I, throughout the pandemic it almost like moments of joy I almost felt guilty about them like mm -hmm. so many people out there have it so much worse than what I'm going through and I'm experiencing this joy and it's like it was so weird to have it when there are a lot without right now you know but I think that's the best part to express that joy and also really be in that joy because not everyone gets to hold on to it, right? And I think, you know, we've talked about on the show how joy is revolutionary. It's a revolution in itself. Um, and so I think, you know, when you're talking about being in those moments of joy, right, and expressing that even when there's moments of sadness, we can have those two truths. Those two truths are, you know, valid. Um, and we can hold space for both of those feelings. So. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And, you know, then there's no guarantee about our joy lasting, right? It's, a, it's almost this sort of like really uh, wild idea that like, oh, my, you know, like I'm so lucky and my joy, you know, I don't know that I'm not right, right before the worst thing. So I, I was going to try not to be dark, but here we are. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you. Thank you for showing us, you know, telling us where you're at right now. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, speaking of joy, we're we're gonna we also start off with a little game, yes. uh, which I think is is everybody's favorite thing to do. We call it speed dating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I say that very sarcastically. I feel like everybody that does speed dating hates it, but not this game, speed dating itself. Uh, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask you a series of questions uh, so that the audience could get to know you just a little bit before we deep dive, right? Um, and so feel free to answer them as in-depthly or as concisely as you feel is necessary. Okay. So are you ready? I think I am. Ladies and gentlemen, I have not been prepared for <laughs> <laughs> these questions. Okay. All right. Question number one. 
where is your favorite place that you've traveled to? Uh, Rome, Italy. Okay. Nice. I like this. Concise. <laughs> speed. Yes. You're about the speed. Okay. So mine is, what is one song you are grateful that it exists and why? Oh, there's this song um, called Melanin. Okay. Oh my God, it's so good. The refrain is feeling pretty good and melanin. And it's just been like, um, my friend, the poet Tharvia Faisola added it to this playlist that we have together and I like dance to it almost every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like on a rooftop, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I am all for it. Yes. And now that you said Tarfia, um, I'm going to bug you so we can get her on this show. Uh, <laughs> question number three. And I ask this of all our guests. What's your favorite food dish to eat? Ooh. So uh, my friend Joe says that I eat like a 20-year-old who was raised by a single dad. Um, my favorite food when I'm all by myself is a thing that I've invented, I think I've invented, called chip salad, where I put all different kinds of chips, like the last bits of chips in a bowl. Okay. And then in that process, discover which is my favorite by like which one I'm saving. And then I like just learn a little thing about myself. That's <laughs> amazing. I kind of like, love that. If I can have a nugget chip salad and like no nobody's around, I'm just having a chip salad maybe drinking some box wine, like that's my night. <laughs> so now my question is like, do you save the like the ends of the bags for the chip salad? Like when you're like, oh, I'm about to be over with this. No, so. No, no, no. here's the situation. I live with two young men, my sons, who don't want the job of throwing anything away. Oh. <laughs> like, they don't want to finish it. I don't know what the psychology of it is. Like, I wouldn't even notice if it was gone. But they like leave like at last like two inches of chips in the bottom of yeah. everything. It's <laughs> like pour it all together, and it's it's a good time. I highly recommend it. Ten out of ten. Oh my goodness! I know. And like the Sananto in me wants to put lime on it. Uh huh. Right. Right. <laughs> on everything. All right. So this is my last question. Um, what random fact about yourself do your friends and family love about you? Oh. Hmm. Rocky goes deep with these PPA questions. <laughs> she got called out. Imagine, like, I would like to think that they love that I'm always thinking up elaborate pranks, but don't have the money to carry them through, so I just talk about them. <laughs> um, like if I had a lot of money, I would spend it all on pranks, big pranks. Wow. <laughs> so I think they like that I don't have enough money to do my pranks. Oh. What was what was that show with the the one punked right? Like if yeah. you had money, you'd produce your own series of punked. Yeah, but it's like so elaborate that somebody might not even notice. Like. <laughs> so is it like office like off the like the office type of pranks? Like, okay, so, like, one of them is there's, like, you know, there's those personal injury lawyers that advertise on buses? Yes. So, one of my dreams is, I have two versions of this. One is to book one of those people and be like, hey, just can you just tell your my kids that we're getting married? And then have a bus go by that has them on it and see, like, how my kids, like, how, because they'll have to be polite because this is their new dad. <laughs> like, it was a situation. <laughs> 
The other option is to meet somebody online, take their picture, make a billboard. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then prank everyone with it. I just don't have the money, but um, maybe I should start a GoFundMe. That's, that is amazing. Okay. That kind of thing. It's like, why, why? Just for that moment. I would watch it. If you have like anything, yes. Like we need to fund you some type of way. I feel like that would get funded pretty quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> joy, joy. You're just a joy spreader is what's happening. <laughs> well, um, I see a couple of questions in the comment section about what is going on here. So for anyone that's joining us, this is Words and Shit, our live virtual talk show where we bring on a poet and then we hear some poetry and then we talk about some shit. So um, with that being said, people in the comment section, please use it. If you hear something that stands out to you, quote a line. If you have a question that you'd like to ask our illustrious guests, drop it in the comment section. Uh, Because at this point, what I would love us to do is to just transition and have you really kick us off with a poem? All right. Um, I think, like, I had an, a poem in mind. Um, yeah, I'm going to do this one. It's called Reconciliation. Um, and it's in four parts. Sometimes when a poem is happening and then the poet says two, everyone's like, oh, it's four. Okay. Just like, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. It's called Reconciliation. It's from a constellation of half-lives. Long ago, I was a leaf turning my face to the sun. The muscled shoulders of the lioness were mine. I waited for a breeze. The hair on my body protected me. My soft belly was my well. Two, bending to lay shoes with callous thumbs, humming in broken voice along a dangerous path, adding water to stretch the scoop raising torches in the street, teaching a father to read, building a wall, weeping with a neighbor, devotion and destruction in every scarred moment. Three, in reconciliation ceremonies for veterans, Unitarian Universalist minister Chris Antle leads civilians to recite this phrase. Three, we sent you into harm's way. We put you into situations where atrocities were possible. We share responsibility with you for all that you've seen, for all that you have done, for all that you have failed to do. Four, a force of heat-seeking miracles, complete and fragment, shatter and rebound, slinking ribs, pulsing organs, the unyielding grace of shin bone, crease and purple bloom, keen and failing senses, hunger and thirst, desire, scattering like shrapnel, hunted by foxes, like foxes. Mm. Wow, wow, I just, whew. I already know we're gonna go through this. <laughs> Our emotions are gonna go <laughs> do it. Wow. Um, you know, I, I want to say thank you every time our poet comes in and you know shares their words because it's definitely, uh, you know, your candidates of it and the the words that you're expressing are just heavy. But you know, we I appreciate them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know 
this idea of like desire, you know, you talk about, like you're I'm like, I just want to be like the four parts that you had are not long. They're very, very concise, but they're so strong and like straight to the point, right? And I think, you know, when we talk about desire, especially in poetry, um, it could definitely, I don't know, it could, it's almost like, I think when you said it's sh- like it's shartanol, right? It's like all over the place, it could sting, but at the same time you want it because it can create a beautiful uh, reflection of beauty within that mess, right? Um, I guess what I want to ask you is like, what is your, um, let's talk about like desire and power, you know? Um, from that poem and, and so forth. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting thing. Like it's kind of being frowned upon desire, wanting something that you are not in control of. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's it's a sort of um, it's like it's a sort of shameful thing, right? That you're not in power, and it's just like um, the dynamic that that's tricky in like a romantic and a sexual setting of like Mm -hmm. that tension. Um, But too like in the sense of making a change in the world and, and, you know, making a name for yourself, there's this sort of like complicated, and I don't know if it's the case for everyone, but certainly for me and the family I was raised in as a woman, like desiring something beyond myself, desiring something beyond service, desiring recognition for like, I'm a bad bitch. Like, right? Like that <laughs> is super tricky for me, right? I say it and I like I throw up a little in my mouth. <laughs> like, that, yeah. um, like, you know, dynamic. And I I don't know. I like, what is your experience with desire? How are, how are you guys? Uh, right. uh, well, I, well, <laughs> I think you can I throw the question back? You you can and I'm just gonna yes. right right back at you. Um, you bring up a really interesting yes. point, which is this dynamic of like desire and how it's looked down upon, but kind of almost exclusively whenever that desire is coming from a feminine person, you know, a female aligned mm-hmm. person. Whereas if you a, a a man with desire is considered ambitious, is considered driven, is you know, like you see something, you want it, you go get it, good for you. Uh, but the complete opposite happens when that desire comes from uh, a, a woman, you know? Yeah, I think it definitely touched upon like the desire. I feel when you said the desire to serve, right, that we're taught. Because um, I could just imagine that you said you have two sons. So, you know, as I'm not a mother, but I adore mothers because <laughs> I feel like you do give up this like sense of selflessness, right? Like or you're selfless. Um, and then, you know, especially what you were saying, how for desire for women, it's in the, with this dichotomy, right? Of being either a mother nurturing person or a whore, right? Like we're trying to find that middle ground of like, we can be both, right? Oh. Um, yeah, and I, I know that it's always been kind of interesting for me even to like talk about my mother too, it's like, no, my mother is still like a sexual woman, you know, like she, she has her own desires. She has her own ambitions and it doesn't stop with like being with a mother to me. So I could, again, I'm not a mother, but I think it's you like writing and, you know, being a mother and, and talking about desires is very empowering. Thanks. Yeah. It's an, and I think so often women are considered like a product of their circumstance right? It's just your luck, your bad luck, or your good luck. And it, like, you know, we're not acting on the world. There's this Adrian Rich quote 
where she talks about um, women being judged by, like using their sons in particular, as their tools for acting upon the world. Mm -hmm. um, and her refusing that, like, I don't want my sons to act in the world for me anymore than I want them, you know, to, to join the military or to, you know, whatever the, I remember exactly what her phrasing was, but this idea of like, I don't want them to be a tool for anyone's action. Mm -hmm. I want to have my own action and for them to be their own action. Um, I think like, I know my mother didn't quite even imagine that possibility yeah. for herself, right? Mm -hmm. It was like her lot in life, whatever it was, her father, then her husband. Yeah. How was it then for you to like kind of come up in the world and embracing this notion of like desire and seeking recognition and all the things that you want when you, when you had that kind of like, you know, the experiences that your mother went through and kind of having to break the cycle or break tradition with that? Yeah. I don't know that I'm, you know, like that work's not done. You know, mm -hmm. I, I definitely struggle with it. Um, so much of my work in service, but I got married when I was 18. Um, like I knew that the only way to like walk out of the door of my father's house was to walk right into my husband's house, right? Like I had to get married to earn that autonomy. And there are good things about the marriage, but mostly there's a whole book about it, right? Um, <laughs> so, but the cliff notes is it was dysfunctional. Um, and, I, and and so it was like 10 years of that. It was almost, I was almost 30 before I was, I started writing honestly, before I started claiming like, because part of claiming what you're capable of, claiming who you are, I think claiming who you're not, like being okay with who you're not in the ways that like, yeah, or maybe I'm not selfless. Like maybe I'm not um, the perfect mother or wife. Maybe there's another thing. Maybe there's another template or no template. There's another thing I can walk into. No, and I, I love that. I love that you um, you kind of reiterate the notion that women don't have to be perfect within this like society, right? You can have flawed or people can be human, whether I know we're still on the topic of mothers, and I know you're more than just a mother, but you know, if mothers as a woman as like a, even as a writer, right? There's no such thing as perfect writing or perfect poem. We get we can try to get close to it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's every it's up to anyone's interpretation, and the most important interpretation is our own. Right, and that own changes, right? Like I have for sure read poems from a podium somewhere real nice, and been like, shit, I'm changing this line right now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because myself has changed, my taste has changed, or my idea has changed, or. Um, and it's, an, it's, I think it's the most exciting part of being alive. It was like, who am I going to be tomorrow? What's, you know, how's my mind going to change? Yeah, I, that, yeah, that's so, so real. Just had a conversation about that where I was talking to my husband about like my last collection of poetry. And I was like, it's not that I'm not proud of it. It's just, I'm aware that I did the best I could with the mm -hmm. tools I had at the time. Mm -hmm. And now I look at it and I was like, ooh, I would do so much differently, right? Because mm -hmm. we are constantly evolving. We're constantly learning, growing, or at least hopefully we are, right? Because how how sad would it be if we were just the same our whole right. life? And it's such great fortune to have these opportunities, to have these records of our past thinking of our past selves, right? Like these old poems are... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's like it's it's really. I'm so glad that we can't go back and, and butts with things. Um, 
that they just have to like exist as part of the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I want to know, like, you know, we're talking about like changing in the, you know, your past poems, where do you see the growth, like from the, you know, the years that you've been writing, like from where you started to now, what kind of growth have you seen within yourself and your writing? Oh, myself and my writing are super, super, super the same thing, right? Like I write first and foremost for myself. Um, and I know that's, you know, there's, there's some, some thoughts about that, I think. <laughs> um, but for me, I, uh, I play differently, you know, as in different phases of my life. Like if I, there's this Gustave Flaubert quote, be orderly, be regular and orderly in your life so that you can be violent and chaotic in your work. Um, and the more like down and grounded my life is, the weirder I'm able to be in my work, <laughs> the more chances I'm able to take, you know, like the more rigor I'm able to bring to my work. Um, and then the more like a chaos there is, the sort of like, you know, kind of more linear my writing has to be for me to make sense of it, for me to start to order it. Is that, you know, and then I'll get some distance from that thing that I wrote in this orderly way and be able to like fragment it and see how it fits in a, in a longer thing, uh, you know, from a wider perspective rather. That's so um, interesting. I love yeah. that. Uh, I love that because it is in such opposition to like something that I heard when I was like a teenager and I was like, that makes so much sense. And it was like, when an artist's life is in chaos, their art is blossoming. And when their life is fine, their art sucks. And I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, thinking of like artists like Picasso, not Picasso, so Este, Van Gogh or whoever, who is like, oh, lives such a tortured existence and creates its beautiful work. But what you're saying is like the complete opposite in that mm -hmm. in terms of how it influences your work. So I'm just kind of like, hmm. Hmm, I'm gonna have to reevaluate my entire existence now. I mean, I, just, I think there is a lot of pressure, right? Like, there's this idea, the stereotype of this tortured artist, and um, you know, like giving ourselves permission to be assholes because we're artists. But like, yeah, you you don't have to. Like, you could be, those could be two separate things. You could be an asshole and also an artist. <laughs> it might not be one thing. Um, but it is possible to show up at your desk and like not choose to be all kinds of ways and just really think rigorously um, and think enough bad shit has happened in your life that so you don't have to create new bad shit in order to, to tell. I don't know anybody who's like low on bad shit. Um, yeah. I mean, let, let's, let's talk about the bad shit. Um, Cause like, you, at the top of the show, we were talking about how, you know, like in terms of like our check-in, like, you know, your heart was pretty heavy just because we are kind of going through a lot right now. Totally. But, yeah. yeah, individually, but also on a collective level. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about this notion of joy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how we, we make joy for ourselves, how joy is fleeting. Like, how are some of the ways that you personally or that you think we can make space to hold this joy when the when the world is on fire the ocean was literally on fire right you know oh. uh, <laughs> yeah. you know and, and i say that because like i work with a lot of young kids 
And I'm finding that a lot of them really do feel like there's no hope for the future. You know, the world that we're inheriting is fall apart. And so it's like, well, how do we still inspire joy? How do we make space for joy when that looms above us, right? Right. I think of this often, like I was probably 25 years old before I really understood that no one was saving the rainforest. You know, like I had been like buying the body shop hats and buttons and sending in my box tops. And I was like, yeah, the grownups got it. The boomers did not have it. And, you know, I, but I, I got all the way to 25 believing that everything was going to be okay. And I could just like do what I was doing. And I see that my, my children do not have that luxury, right? Young people do not. They're, they're inundated with the news. It is worse. Um, and I think, you know, there's no like short answer to it. And I think there's this balance of like, yes, we all, there's no time for everyone to just chill out, right? Like no one can fully chill out. Everyone's got to do a little bit of work. Um, but also um, nothing is served by you suing, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether you worry or not, the thing will happen. And so balancing out like where your action is and where you're, um, where you're self-flagellating, right? Mm. These are two different things. These are two different things and you can do so much action. Um, and then we spend the rest of our time self-flagellating, but it's not really serving anything. You know, it's just like feeding the hunger and fire and, and grief. Um, and so that's where I turn really hard into joy. And I'm like, okay, so this is my action that I'm gonna do. And this is my time that I'm going to save to dance to this song every freaking day or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the other thing is to like, to just like, dream up this billboard prank that I want to do or <laughs> like, like pure nonsense. Um, that's not productive. Mm. That's the key is to, I think sometimes to unplug from productivity. Um, mm. and I don't know, I, I don't know. Then I was happier before I was 25 and I, you know, I didn't know. I think I might have been more navel gazing and more like more centered in my, like myself as the center of the universe mm -hmm. than recognizing that like my flex of joy are not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. um, and that like my moments of joy are also my, my mo moments of worry and raging and whatever are not solving anything. Mm. I don't know if I answered that because it's so big. I don't know that I have the answer, but that's how I'm playing with it right now. It's like, where do I, where can I find soft time for play? You know, yeah. just play. Um, because then I can come to the fight because I do need to show up to the fight. Like, let, you know, like, let me be clear. We need to show up to the fight. Um, but I show up to the fight better when I've had some fun. So maybe yeah. it is more productivity minded, but it's it's that semblance of balance, absolutely. You know, and as someone who recently got a Nintendo Switch, I 100% agree with planning moments of complete non-productive, just fun time, and then let's get back to work. Right? You know? Are you playing Mario Kart? Yes. Oh, how did you know? It's so good. It's the best game there is. It's the best. <laughs> We have an old Wii. It makes so much noise. I think it's raining outside. Um, 
Well, I, I do want to dive into uh, the the work that you do because you do a lot of great work. Uh, so I want to get to that in a moment, but I think this would be a good time to just kind of like reset and um, with another poem, and then we can dive into some more some more shit. Or we can, as in your words, play a little bit more. <laughs> um, I'm I'm open for either. What are you guys feeling? Just give us give us a poem and then we'll come back. <laughs> okay, okay, I got a I got a sex poem for you. Um, even my sex poems are dark, but <laughs> it's the life I'm living. This is called Bellum Night. I dream you are in my bed. Disoriented by your smell, I can't remember your name. I dip my finger into the depression where neck and shoulder and clavicle intersect and ask, is it you? Are we here again? Never have the borders of my body been so blurred. Your flesh mine, my flesh yours. The free exchange of fluids, the reckless drawing of blood. There is no intimacy like a wrecking love. Some nights I lay in our bed away. Those nights stretch. I stand from the bed, sit on the toilet, bore of masturbating, open and close books, remove layers of blankets, layers of clothing, stand under the shower, eat ripe fruit over the sink, wipe my face with a dish towel. These are my most honest nights. Since the untangling, the lovers have been kind and clumsy and graceful, hungry and apathetic. I couldn't say how many. It doesn't matter. They are not enough. Lately, I prefer to find myself curled upright in the bathtub, chin between the twin flats of my knees. When I am alone, I am almost enough. In daylight, I face others propped upright, wounds dressed, wrapped in hard plaster. Underneath the casing, I am all hollow. I think you are boring, boring. I read many interesting things. I am so smart. I read things most people wouldn't. While I read, my mind wanders to fixate on men who think I'm great, but not good enough. There are plenty of men like that, and they confirm what I recite in my head in your voice. Not enough. Not enough, not enough. When I meet a man like that, the longing is unbearable. The last time you were in this bed, it stood in the little house we bought. We had given up, you were on edge, drinking too much, pacing late into the night. I'd pack for my impending move, go to work, and come home to find my things unpacked. It was like that for us. You showed love through bared teeth. I offered sex as sedative. The last night you woke me, stood over me with a flashlight asking, are you okay? You were crying out in your sleep. I lifted the covers, allowed you to lay beside me. To fuck dangerous men to sleep is not unlike the circus trick of putting one's head into a lion's gaping mouth. There's a certain glamour and giddiness 
to escaping unscathed. But I never cry out in my sleep. When dreaming of my own death, I fall silent. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, I have to say something while she processes. Uh, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I was really trying to not to like cry. No, no, like, no. I was so ready. I was so ready for this because I was, you know, I was doing research earlier uh, and I was on YouTube and I found this poem while I was in the airport. I found this poem on YouTube and I heard it and like multiple times I was just like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm pretty sure everybody around me thought I was crazy, but I was like, and then when you sit, when you quoted yourself during the pre-show that you were going to do this poem, I was like, oh yes, I need to see how Rocky responds to this poem. So Rocky response <laughs> oh my gosh um you know so, i think you know we're definitely always talk about the poet and you know what you're going through i just wanted to say thank you because i i think it just so happens that i needed to hear those words maybe me personally right mm -hmm. um and to hear those words oh it's like the line of of fucking dangerous men and like leaving unscathed and like, but you and yourself like have still control over your own death and how you want to. Wow, like I feel like we've been there. We're still going through that, and it's not just not. You know I mean, like with anyone and lovers, right? And I and I love this idea of like the lovers are just they're they. There's 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 not a really name, but you're kind of talking about one, but you're talking about so many because um, they're enough, but not but you're not enough. And it's, wow, do we go through that all the time, right? All the time. Even like when we're starting a new relationship or when a relationship becomes sour and we're just like, are we enough? Why are they dangerous? Are we dangerous? Then we have to ask the question, are we dangerous to them too? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, and this, this lion tamer power thing, right? Like this thing of like, uh, the lion tamer thinks they're in control. The lion knows, like, it's got this teeth. He's like, yeah, that's cute. Um, but, but this is like, you know, and I'd like to escape it. And I'm kind of bored of it now, this power dynamic of this idea of like, I take a step forward and somebody will take a step back and then I'll take a step back and they'll take two steps forward. But motherfuckers, when I take a step back, I will forget your name. Right? Like, yes. I, like, yes. like, let me tell you my step back is so far. I will literally erase your name from my brain i didn't save it first and then <laughs> <laughs> like right but like it is still that idea of like me trying to fence my uh relationship to that power and desire mm. oh man but I, I love it i <laughs> like you put people on check with this poem but at the same time you you're still very vulnerable right like you just being alone this how many times have we again have we been in the shower like sitting down and the water run through us and we're like, are we even enough for ourselves before we even give it to anyone else? Right. And then this idea of like, do we always have to be enough or do we have to be ready to be perfect to give someone ourselves? And then it's kind of almost unfair to ask someone to be perfect to, for us. Right. Right. And what would it mean? This is the thing that I'm kind of writing about and thinking about right now. Like, What would it mean to desire oneself? Like, what would it mean to not need anyone else to desire you, to desire your own damn self? Um, I mean, it's, 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 such, it's such a question that we were not prepared 
to even ask ourselves, right? Um, Unless you're a narcissist, but then you get, you know, like you, then you, you're, you're kind of looked down upon for like loving yourself so much, right? Like, oh, you're so into yourself. It's like, well, yeah, I have to be. Yeah. Well, but like, even narcissists sort of require the external yes. spotlight, right? But like, what would it mean to be like, you know, no, like, you know, like, what does it mean to really enjoy taking a selfie? And it's back to that thing of like, what's frowned upon? Like mm -hmm. this is um, me just appreciating myself and like, um, mm -hmm. I don't have the answer. I'm still over here, like mm, not enough. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's, it's definitely, yeah, of course. And I think like, you know, this poem goes even beyond sex because yes, we can desire ourselves by like learning our bodies, touching ourselves sexually or in ways of pleasure to know how to pleasure ourselves as well. Um, but at the same time, this almost like erotic power and eroticism within like being us, mm -hmm. right? Dating yourself, right? I love dating myself. I love taking myself <laughs> out on dates and like, oh, I'm gonna buy myself flowers, you know? Like, um, I think that's where the beauty like the beauty lies and I, I want to say thank you so much for that poem because wow thank you mm -hmm. thank you yeah I also want to say because Rocky did mention too this poem just kind of puts people in check yeah it, does. it, it checks people uh you and I were talking before the show and you shared a fantastic story uh about a reading of this poem and I don't know if you if, if you can share it mm -hmm. uh, I, just wonder, I think it's a brilliant moment I I'm am certain this young person is not in the audience I was at <laughs> And so I think we're okay. I was at Old Dominion University some years ago and I had just written this poem. So this book wasn't out, it wasn't anywhere. It was a brand new poem. And I read it and there was this one young man in the audience who was just like real bothered by it. Like he just, he felt really personal about it. And I was like, well, let's talk about it. What is it that you're feeling? Like, why do you feel affronted in this, in this moment of, you know, being a dangerous, are you, are you concerned about being a dangerous man or what's happening? And he like, he just was like, I didn't like it. I just that, And I don't know if it was like the masturbating that he didn't like being yeah. said, or if it was, you know, like those last lines, um, I really like wanted to talk about it and he wasn't into it. And then I really wanted to take a picture with him and he definitely wasn't into it. <laughs> that was the end of us. Um, but he was just like, you know, just he was super young. He must have been like 18, 19 years old, just like um <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't feeling it. Uh but it's and it's a tricky thing, right? Like what if we examined why people do the things they do for us? Like what our power is and that that you know, that question, Rocky, you asked, like, is am I dangerous? Mm -hmm. Am I being toxic in this moment? Like, am I the one that is uh, perpetuating um, and if we don't examine it we just continue to to do harm yeah yeah well you do you do a lot of good in this world not a lot of harm um, uh, and one of the one of the ways that you do outside of just your writing is the work that you do with community building artworks um, that was like I said at the top of the show that was how like I came across you friend of mine sent me a flyer, like take a workshop with her. And I was like, okay. And it was 
phenomenal. I, I credit you in my acknowledgement page of this chapbook that I'm working on because one of the poems in there spawned from one of your workshops. So I love that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what that organization does, what you do with it, like why you feel like that work is so necessary because it's such a big part of, uh, just from what I see, it seems like it's such a big part of your life that obviously it's something you're really passionate about. It is absolutely such a huge part of my life. So I got this job at Walter Reed Army Medical Center when I was like in the worst time of my life to date, right? I mean, not Tim Fain. Um, and, you know, what I learned at that hospital, at this military hospital, was that there is nothing more essential than community. Um, and that a lot of the community that I had was not actually community. It was just like people I was in the same place with. Actually, at the heart of community is communication. At the heart of communication is knowing what it is that you contain. And writing and art making are tools for both knowing what you contain and communicating it to the people around you so that um, the power is back in your hands in a way, right? Like they can understand why you're weird. You can claim it. And I think that's the thing about this poem that I just read is like, it's all right there. Like I said it first. What are you going to say to me? I said it first. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is so much of people like not making space for other people is really them not making space for themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Punishing the people around them for the ways that they see themselves in it. And what if instead we saw our reflection in other people and looked at that with kindness. And was like, we're like, I wish the best for you. I wish for you to find whatever peace is, is possible for you. Um, and that was really the work, the work started there in 2010 with me realizing like, oh, actually there's this huge Venn diagram of grief. And even if it's, the reasons are very different, the causes are very different, the experience of grief is super isolating, um, but doesn't have to be if we can express the Venn diagram. So we have workshops, we're not art therapists. Um, and that's really important to me. We're all professional artists, working artists. And we have free workshops that are um, specific to certain populations. So we'll have them in partnership with organizations that are working with, um, you know, military family members. We're starting one next month for um, transgender service members and veterans, which I'm very excited about. Um, we have ones that are for veterans, for healthcare workers. And then we have community workshops like the one that you came to, Chibi, that are really the heart of it. Like, yes, we want to reach these populations, but more than that, we want to get different people together to share their voices, to hear each other's stories, to be, to witness, to bear witness to one another. Um, and I just, I think that it is, it's emotional literacy and it's a big part of what's missing um, for so many people. Mm, I love that, 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 the notion of emotional literacy. Uh, can you, can you dive a little deeper into that? You know, like what, how, how that manifests maybe, uh, uh, with the people that you work with or with yourself? Yeah. So I think, right, the way that poetry works, when you're first <laughs> writing poetry and you're you're working on just like image, 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 right? Like poetry sort of frees you of connective tissue, especially at the beginning stages where you're just trying to like stack images, find the images. Um, 
that's how consciousness works, right? Like when you are, as you're moving through your day, like you're getting inputs and you're also remembering things and it's sort of timeless. Um, and all of these images are showing up next to each other and they are impacting how you're behaving, right? So my son who looks just like his dad, if he is rude to me, like a whole switch flips in me because of my relationship with his dad. And if I can parse through what are the images there that cause my rage or my, it's really a fear response, um, I can then catch myself. And that's where the literacy comes in, right? Like it is all of these images stacked together and we can't help that the way that our brains work. And maybe we don't want to, maybe it's, a, you know, like it is our special, our special magic. Um, but we should definitely have a little bit of control around like what what we do with it. And that's the place where I think poetry can be really helpful. The other thing is that the hardest things that I've experienced when I've done the work of finding the right words, the perfect words, I've done the hard work between me and the page, and I need to tell somebody new, I usually use those words, right? And so then in the moment that I'm telling you, if I told you about my father dying, I can be present with you because I know it's a heavy story and I know that we're having this moment. I'm not afraid to tell you because I don't have to go into the memory. I go into the writing, right? Mm. I go into the It's this third thing. Um, mm. And I think that's a really powerful um, tool to have as we're building intimacy with other people. Mm. Wow. Mm. I feel like there's there's so much to like <laughs> go into. Um, whew, I hold on. <laughs> they just I know. Well, Chibi's right actually like right here, and I've been like writing on my notes. <laughs> I know. I, I'm like listening. She's like, no, 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 no. I was like, yeah, yeah. We can talk about that and that and that. There's so much to unpack in there. Uh, I think I, yeah, but I also I I love that this you know, your idea of, or when you're talking about like having control and like even poetry is a sense of control because and to me, like I don't see poetry or like art as a form of control. It's a form of like chaos or in different interpretations, mm -hmm. right? Um, so for, and I guess it does, like if you're trying to find the, the particular word, but I feel like that is your control over your poem, but then mm -hmm. as readers and people who are interpreting it, it is, it, there is no control because we didn't write it. Right. Um, but you're still trying to find that like middle ground to express this communal um, experience. Right. And understanding um, and emotional like, you know, you're saying emotional literacy, too, within your own words. Um, you know, even you're talking about you can even talk about like what you're um in your organization, as well as like your workshops, even this like communal experience of grief, right? It's like, okay, you might not, we might not have to have the same experience, but I have this exact words to relate to you. And I, you know, I just want to say that I appreciate that. But at the same time, um, that also shows so much growth in a person too, because not everyone has the capacity or wants to do the work, right? And um, it seems like you, you've wanted to do the work and you, you continuously do the work. And I, I want to know where the strength of continuing the work of continually doing this work comes from. Yeah. Are you talking about the work within myself or the work in the community? Both. I think that it goes either <laughs> or, right? It's, it's interchangeable. Yeah. It's like you can't sometimes separate it. 
I will say this about the poetry control thing before I step into that is that at the beginning when you write, actually at any point, I can write a poem and hand it to you and have told the complete truth and still you don't know the whole story. And that's control, right? Like I conveyed an emotional truth, but I haven't told you the particulars of the story. And often when somebody's experienced something very traumatic, telling their therapist like line by line what happened can actually be harder than writing a poem that's just about the images of it um, in any order that they need it to be in. So there's that. Um, and I think that in terms of like, where do I find the strength to do the work? Um, I'm curious, you know? I'm like, just like genuinely, like really, really, really curious. I'm an eavesdropper. I'm a, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, we're just like, yo, did you see how much Diet Sunkiss is in the neighbor's recycling? <laughs> I'm like, curious about people. Um, and I really love to know them and I really love to know myself. Um, and I think that that's, that's a major, major driver. Like it's not entirely altruistic. It's what I love. It's what I like. Mm -hmm. I do this thing with Uber drivers sometimes. If like somebody seems kind of open, I'll be like, hey, you want to just do personal questions? And we'll just like, <laughs> like go in. I was getting a ride to Denver airport and we just like really like, his situation with his wife and like my situation. Like, actually, I had a question about that guy that put your luggage in the suitcase. That was a great question. You know, <laughs> I love that. I love it. Um, so I, I feel really fed by it. And the other thing is that the thing that sustains me the most in the world is the laughter that comes on the heels of tears. Mm -hmm. But you can't get it without the tears. So we got to sit and do the work. So that we can, you know, like get that real sweet and salty laughter. Wow! Process, the sweet and salty laughter. Wow! I would never even would ever think about putting those words together with laughter, but that's so true, right? Uh -huh. um, yeah, I, def I definitely get a lot of emotion. I'm like a very emotional person, but then I laugh at it. And I, I think the greatest thing about this conversation with you overall has been your emphasis on play, right? Just the way you are. Like, I definitely... I feel there's so much conversations about like you're working with your inner child and make sure your inner child's like protecting and like you love them and you make sure it's safe to be play. Like I definitely, I feel like you are invoking my inner child to interact with you in this beautiful <laughs> way. And I, I, I want to say thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I love what you said about the poem kind of becoming a third entity, right? There's you, the experience, and then the poem, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and that really speaks to that idea of um, poetry. Poetry is not therapy, but poetry can be therapeutic, right? And it gives people the tools to kind of process something so that they can then talk about it without reliving it, essentially. Uh, so mm -hmm. I just, I just, I just wanted to put an exclamation mark on that because it's just so, such beautifully said and uh, and really great work there. Um, but what I wanted to ask about. Uh, is this idea of reclamation because your first poem i think was called the first one you shared with us was called reclamation reconciliation reconciliation damn. Talk, talk about reclamation anyway, please let's talk about it yeah. <laughs> damn uh but then yeah and then in the second one you, you were like you said like i said it first right mm -hmm. uh you've already 
claimed it or reclaimed it, you've like taken the power away from anyone bringing you down. Um, do you find that that kind of like comes up often in a lot of your work or the, uh, the things that you do, the things that you write about is like as a way to just kind of like put yourself above the shit that people may like want to come at you? I think it's not even about the shit that people may want to come at me. It's about the voice in my head that's like, if people really knew you, you know, mm -hmm. and it's the, it's the voice of the abuser for sure. All of the abusers. Um, and for me, like the work is to be like, well, they're going to fucking know me, right? I'm going to make sure that they do. Um, and it is, I wish I could be like this idea of like walking, stepping towards being enough for ourselves. I wish I was there. I'm not. Instead, I have a community of people who admire me and know me and love me anyway. And they're people that I admire. And that's that's the thing that buoys me. I have a list of people that I call. I swear this is not a lie. That I'll be like, hey, I need a pep talk. And they'll be like, all right, got you, got you, got you. This is what you did. You're you're doing all right. It's going to be okay. Um, and that's that wouldn't mean anything to me if I wasn't, if they weren't people who knew me. Like when you the shit, um, and that's that that community is the superpower, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. I want to say thank. Yeah, I think with that note, especially again, community and community holding you, and you you and essentially doing the work to hold other people in communal spaces too. Um, I think that is a nice way to wrap up our mm -hmm. our our segment. Um, it's. I don't want to stop talking to you. <laughs> I don't think like, no, I don't want to go. Like, we'll like, no. Um, but, you know, before you go, if you could please just, you know, play with us one more time with your, with your words. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know when I've last read this poem aloud, um, but I've been thinking about it lately. It's called What I Want, and it's from When the World Breaks Open, which is my memoir. Um, that was out in 2016. What I want. Sometimes I think I wish for a slick, sleek ponytail to replace the unruly strands encircling my head. I think I wish for peep-toed pumps, a platinum band tucked neatly behind a perfect diamond ring. I think maybe I want the minivan, the Mercedes, Capri pants, contact lenses, a sparkling wooden smile. But if I really wanted those things, wouldn't I brush my hair? <laughs> what do you really want? <laughs> so great. So, so, so great. Again, thank you so much, Seema, for being here. Um, it's been an absolute joy um, just sharing the space with you virtually. Uh, hopefully we can um, share it together in person. And I would love to really try to fulfill one of those pranks with you in, like, in person the next time. Oh my God, <laughs> I would love that. I have some friends in Brooklyn that are deserving of a prank. I will chat with yeah. you guys about this. <laughs> <laughs> I so uh, wish this was the kind of reading where we had an after party and we could go just like dance it out. Um, oh, I love that. One day, one day, one day. I, 
I will be in the Baltimore area at the end of October. So, you know, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. What's a hop, skip, and a maybe Rocky will join me. Who knows? <laughs> Get on the damn train, Rocky. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And, and you know, and, and for all of you who are listening, and I saw Rooster Martinez was here. Woo! Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. Um, I know we have it displayed on the screen, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast afterwards, can you let our listeners know where they can find you if they want to find more information about you, the work you do, your books, things like that? Yeah, I hope people join a workshop, www.cbaw.org. We'll take you to our website and see our full schedule of events. Um, If you're going to buy my book, which would be lovely. Please do it um, not through my website because I hate going to the post office. Do it through Bookshop, which funds independent bookstores. But you can also go to cmarmesa.com. And if you really want me to go to the post office, I'll sign it. I'll do it. It'll take a long time. So like drag my feet. cost me a lot, but emotionally, but I'll do it. <laughs> Just go All to right. Bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make Seema go to the post office. Just <laughs> the bookshop. Uh, her two books are available. They are out there in the world. A Constellation of Half-Lives and her memoir, When the World Breaks Open. Thank you one more time, Seema. Show some love in the comment section. You're still here. Thank Seema Ressa, everybody. Hey, John Sands. <laughs> hey. John Sands is sunlight in human form. Mm, <laughs> it's <obvious>. so true. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. This is so true. John Sansa is sunlight in human form. Ah, Rocky! <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just don't know like, do I look at the, like, do I look over here? Do I look at you? I can actually hug you while you're crying because we're here. I was trying really, really, like, try, I was trying to be a little brave, you know, not to cry in front of you because I'm like, Usually, you know, like I can like kind of hide it, but I was like, oh, no, you can no, definitely we're, hear me. We're right here. We're right here. <laughs> and more and more, I think we've said this almost every week, is like at the end of these conversations, I didn't realize how much I needed that conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. And I kind of like want to want to want to quote Seema on it, where she was like, in terms of the work that she does, she's like, I don't, I don't do it because I'm all altruistic. I do it because I need it. And I think like that's part of these conversations. Is we do shows. Uh, because we need to have these conversations. Yes. We don't know how much we emotionally need these conversations, but afterwards we're just like, ah, damn, mm-hmm. that hit exactly where my soul needed it to right now. Yes. So. Especially with the idea I, I really had with what stuck with me, it's just unplugging from productivity, especially with COVID <laughs> and everything, and really allowing us to play, mm-hmm. right? Because when we play and we acknowledge that side of us we actually can be better people yeah you know so definitely and you got a lot going on in your life right now so uh let's thank some people so you can go play um so yes let's definitely um thank the audience if without you we wouldn't be here so thank you thank you thank you um because of you like we are here together (laughs) (laughs) yeah we do the show live for a reason people so thank you for joining us live um and whether it's your first time here or you've been here before make sure you follow us on instagram and twitter our handles are at words and shh 
so you can uh, follow us there, please. And thank you. I promise we're going to figure out the Twitter password and be more active on it real soon. <laughs> no problem. And if you, you know, again, if this is your first time or if you're like, an, um, you know, a recurring audience member, you can always listen to past episodes on our YouTube channel and on anywhere you can find your podcast. That's to be like just to say, once we have 100 subscribers on our YouTube, we can change the We can the change the URL. <laughs> we're like six subscribers away, people. So if you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Do us a favor so I can change it, change that URL and make it easier and accessible. Tonight's show will drop tomorrow uh, on the podcast and all of our episodes are available on the podcast. Mm. We will be back next week. Yes, we will. Same time. Same place. Well, I'll be back in Texas. And I'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, y'all stay safe out there. Bye, y'all.